Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. When was the last time you met someone new? And I'm not talking about a simple, hi, nice to meet you interaction. When was the last time you made a true, deep connection that enriches your life? My guest today is a woman who's all about meaningful connections, making them, nurturing them, and having them add value to your work, career, and life. Susan McPherson is an angel investor and the CEO of a communications consultancy focused on the intersections of brands and social impact. But she is also the author of the new book, The Lost Art of Connecting, which offers tools for building meaningful relationships. In our hyper-connected world where we can have thousands of LinkedIn connections and zillions of Facebook friends, genuine human connection is still what we really want and need for happiness and fulfillment. I am so delighted to have Susan with us today to help us discover how to be and feel more connected. Welcome, Susan. Katie, I am so thrilled to be here, and congratulations on all you have created. I am such a fan. Oh, that's so great to hear. Thank you so much. I'm I'm super excited. Um, I've been following you on social media. I see that you practice what you you know what you are passionate about and what you preach. You are always shouting out um, women in your life. You're active in founder communities. You support budding entrepreneurs. So I'm really, really thrilled to have you here and to to share you with the audience today. And and I want to ask you about the first line in, in your book to get started. The first line of The Lost Art of Connecting says, connection is my superpower. I would love to hear what connection means to you and why did you decide to write this book? Well, I have to say that every single good thing that has ever happened in my life happened because of connections. And I still remember at age 16, my late mom saying to me, it's not what you know, but who you know. And I uh, grew up in a long, t- a long time ago, um, <laughs> back in the late 60s, early 70s. And I was the prodigy of uh, parents who were serial connectors. So when my mom said that, she was actually doing it. And I joke, but every morning at the breakfast table, I would literally vie for real estate for my bowl of cereal because my parents would have the five local newspapers plus yesterday's or the day before. New York Times splayed out where they would have scissors and they'd be madly clipping and cutting and then going to their respective typewriters to send or type short little missives and then send them off into the U.S. mail. And I just assumed everybody's parents did that. And of course, you know, as I came of age, that wasn't the case, but it was instilled in me at a very, very young age uh, that every single person in this world that we end up coming across or meeting is deserving of our interest, our curiosity, our attention, and probably most importantly, our kindness. And that has been what has carried me through all these, you know, 50 plus years later. I love this story so much because I am thinking back to my own parents who are who are serial connectors as well. My mom was just a uh, you know, embedded in our community. She knew everybody in the small you know area that I grew up in in New York City. We lived in a neighborhood uh, and she uh, was just like a mainstay of that community. But my father was uh, somebody who loved to connect on a bigger scale. And he used to take us as young kids to like the Democratic National Convention and to conferences and to all these things. And he would always drive me crazy because he would stand in the doorway 
of whatever event we were in and we could like never go in. And finally I was like, dad, why are you doing that? And he's like, this is the best place to see everybody. Everyone walks, you know, they have to walk through the door. And he wanted to shake every hand and talk to every person and have every conversation. So I just, I love the fact that this is something that was baked into you at at a young age. So Susan, your book is built on what you call the gather, ask, do method. I would love for you to share with our listeners what this is and how it works. Sure, sure. Well, the book is a business book. However, I am, um, I decided back in the mid 90s when the internet launched and I would trudge home every day from work carrying my laptop and plug my laptop into the wall to send and receive my emails in between when I was doing my dishes um, and getting my computer all sudsy from the dish soap. But I decided <laughs> there, it, there wasn't a work Susan and a home Susan. It was hard enough to be one Susan. I didn't need to be two. And so even though the book comes across as tips for our professional livelihoods, it very much stems from the person within that business person. And the gather, ask, do methodology, which is uh, it was played out throughout the entire book, is, is um, works for our personal relationships as well as our professional. And I will just give a 30,000-foot view because if anyone ends up reading or listening to the book, there's an audio version that I recorded, um, the hardest thing I've ever done, by the way. It made writing the book a lot easier <laughs> when I had to read it out loud. But uh, I digress. The actual Gather, Ask, Do starts with connecting with the most important person in your life, and that is yourself. And thinking very intentionally about what your goals are for the next four years, four months, heck, even four four weeks. And who is it that you want to connect with or reconnect with that is going to help you meet those goals? And vice versa, how are you going to help them meet their goals, the people that you connect with? Also in the gather phase, you think about what your superpowers are. Because I fervently believe, and one of the underlying themes of the book is the notion that we lead with how can we help versus what can we get. And if we're going to truly help others, we need to know how and what our superpowers are to do so. Lastly, in the gather phase, you think about all the ways you are going to break that hermetically sealed bubble that tends to keep us connecting with people who look like us, sound like us, the same age as us, uh, the same race and cultural heritage as us. The ask phase is where you learn to ask the meaningful questions of others so you can find out what their hopes and dreams are. And if you listen carefully, which I learned in the research for the book that we are woefully bad at, myself included, you can get to the do phase, which is my favorite place to be. And that's where you take all the data that you listen to from others and you become reliable, responsible, trustworthy, because you follow through on what you said you're going to do in ways you're going to help and support. And I just want to add a caveat. This doesn't mean, you know, not taking the oxygen mask first. This actually means that when we lead with helping others, the help comes back. So I have lived this and you so lovingly shared at the beginning by by looking at my socials, but we have all the ways in this world to be supportive of others, both in person and online. 
I love this so much. When you said that, um, you know, that this is a business book, but that the principles can be applied to your everyday life and everyday relationships, I could not agree more given what you just shared. You know, I think that, um, you know, my day job is helping people with their LinkedIn profiles and job hunting and career advancements, et cetera. And people sometimes feel like being active on LinkedIn or networking is so transactional and can feel really icky. And when I talk to clients, I, I always encourage them to think about networking as being generous. You know, how, like how can you be helpful? Because particularly for women who are the you know, the majority of my listeners, women are trained to be helpful. We we give to other people. We're trained to be generous and we enjoy it and we're good at it. And so to think about networking or, or relationship building as being generous, I think is something that people feel really really comfortable with. Absolutely. And I, you know, I say that um, I'm not anti-networking, but there's a reason I didn't title the book, The Lost Art of Networking, Uh, because I like to think that this is more about the one-on-one, one-on-two and building long-term non-transactional relationships um, and thinking about things over the stretch of time. Um, There's another theme in the book, and that is the creation of constellations. And If we look back in antiquity, when people would look up in the sky and try to figure things out, they assigned stories to what they saw. And I like to think when you make introductions and connections between one, two, or three people, you're creating impact. You're creating happenings. You're creating storyboards because you don't know what actually is going to come from that. And honestly, when they looked up at the sky, they sure as heck didn't really know what was going on. And just frankly, Katie the only constellation I have ever seen in the sky, even with a telescope, is the Big Dipper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I, you know, sometimes I can make out the Little Dipper, but I, I had a son who was fascinated with this. And I, you know, I, I've been peering at a lot of, uh, a lot of stars myself. Um, Susan, we are emerging in a post-pandemic world. We're going to be taking a, a quick break, but I want to hear when we return from the the break, how people re-enter their lives. People are returning to work. They're returning to in-person events. You know, the holidays are approaching. I want to talk about how people can get back in the, the game of connecting after this quick break. Midlife is a crazy balancing act. Careers, relationships, home life, bank accounts, empty nests, aging parents, not to mention fun, fitness, and friends. We're living longer, stronger, healthier, and happier. We're living life fully charged. We're living Brightly. Brightly is a modern membership company and digital platform built to fuel life 50 plus. Powered by the belief that age and experience are rocket fuel and that 50 is a fantastic yet underrated club, Brightly offers tools, benefits, content, and inspiration for living life fully charged. Brightly offers exclusive benefits from top brands like Warby Parker, HelloFresh, and Minted. Brightly offers tools and classes to help you get things done built just for this life stage. Brightly offers voices of experts, influencers, and a community all living life 50 plus. Come be Brightly. Sign up for the free Brightly newsletter at thisisbrightly.com and follow the fun on social at thisisbrightly. Susan, we're back from the break. We have all been spending the last few months virtually, right? It's actually, we're coming up in two years now. We've been on Zoom. We've been sheltering in place. We have left our offices, but we have begun to return. People started back in fall. People are coming back to companies in the new year. The holidays are approaching. Our lives are returning. 
how are we, you know, going to connect if our skills have gotten rusty after so many months of Zoom? What would be your recommendation for connecting with warmth and comfort? Sure. Well, first and foremost, give yourself some grace. I think, yes, we are quote unquote going back, but I think if anything, we're going sideways because we don't know what we're really going back to. Number two, know you're not alone. In other words, if you're feeling trepidatious, then everyone else is, or at least the majority of people. They may be excited, but they're nervous. And it's kind of like, you know, at the end of um, the winter, when you first get your bike out, uh, out of storage, uh, for those of us who live in colder climates, I swear to you, Katie, the first five blocks I'm on the bike, I am convinced I'm going to die. <laughs> so, but then by the fifth block, I'm like, oh, I got this, right? Um, hopefully as I swerve away from traffic rather than into traffic. But I, I do believe we have been connecting with others and meeting with people in real life since we were knee high to a hopper. So there is no reason we won't be able to, but I do want to remind listeners, it's okay if you're nervous, it's okay to take your time. It's okay to start small. You don't have to immediately throw yourself in a party of, you know, a hundred people. The other thing is, is, you know, thanks to the technology we have, we often can find out who's going to be in the room before we go. And if you are trepidatious or, or nervous or introverted and not not feeling comfortable, um, and rightfully so, again, after 18 months of isolation, I would suggest do a little research, find out who's there, and pick maybe three people you want to meet. And when you go to the event, actually go with the goal of meeting those three people, learning three things about them, and then sharing three things about yourself. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, in the ask section of the book where I talk about learning to ask the questions of others. But when we ask questions of others, we also have to be prepared to be a little bit vulnerable and be open ourselves and stay away from what I call the weather talk, where you default to, you know, what you did over the weekend or what you had for lunch or what the weather was in Cleveland. I don't know why. I <laughs> Poor Cleveland, I right? <laughs> For all my Cleveland <laughs> listeners, please hit me up and tell us what the weather is like there because we do care about you. So Susan, I love the idea of, of going in with some intention, you know, saying like, I'm really excited about the idea of meeting this particular person or this particular type of person. But if you are, you know, shy or a bit introverted, uh, what questions might you encourage people to use to, to you know, as an icebreaker, if, if sure. you know, breaking the ice feels hard or uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, it, one piece of advice I always give, and I live this advice, as scary as it may be, is when I see someone else alone at an event, and inevitably, I am always alone because I'm single, um, I will walk up to that person and introduce myself. And yes, 99% of the time, that person is relieved. There's always that 1% that's like, leave me the heck alone. I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> but most of the time, people are like, oh, phew, I'm not alone anymore. So that's one suggestion. Two, I like to have kind of canned questions. And of course, it's going to be obnoxious after people listen to this podcast and then meet me in real life and I whip out <laughs> the canned questions. But in other words, things like at the end of this pandemic, as we are hopefully getting to the other side, where in the world do you want to go and why? Or if you could solve one problem and money wasn't an issue, what would it be? Or um, what was your favorite food as a child? 
I mean, that's kind of a goofy one, but it's a fun one because then you actually can learn about somebody's background. Um, you know, if I said Balintzas, it would all of a sudden give you an idea of my, you know, something about me. Or if I said spaghetti with meatballs, I mean, I'm being silly, but these types of things are not too invasive. You're not, you're not um, trolling or being, in, you know, digging in in a way that would put somebody at, at an uncomfortable um situation. Yes, that makes uh, so much sense. Yeah, I, I mean, the point is trying to get a little bit more than just the surface conversation. So I have um, a good one for you, Susan. I had yeah, a guest please. on the show. Her name is Nancy Davis Co. She has the podcast Midlife Mixtape. And she asks every guest, what was their first concert? And I think that's such a great question, because people have all sorts of different answers to that. And, and, and most people have, you know, seen a concert. So you can you can learn a lot about yes. people that way as well. So I'm throwing yes. it out there for all the for all the music nerds in the show who want to uh, I love it. I love it. It's just it takes it out of the normal realm. And people get it like they, they, you know, if you're at a, an event or a conference or a dinner party with some strangers and you you need to figure out a way to, of connecting with them, you know, you, you want to tap into something that's sort of universal. Um, when you walk into a conference, Susan, because I know this book is a, is a bit about business networking. Do you have any like really tactical tips around beyond the icebreaker? I mean, do you set goals about the number of business cards you leave with or the types of conversations you want to have? Does that help? Uh, give structure to your? Well, I mean, again, I go always back to the gather, ask, do. And I did that long before I wrote the book where I really kind of think about what are the long-term goals and how does this fit into that, right? Um, so it isn't necessarily about the number of people I meet, but it's, you know, who do I want to meet that's going to not only help me meet my goals, but knowing what I can actually do to help people, who do I want to meet that I can be helpful to? Um, and then I look and see, for instance, who's going to be in the room. And then I go hide in the bathroom after I do. Um, so you, know, you can I, probably you meet know, a lot of people in that bathroom. I think there are a lot yeah. of people. I think there are a lot of people hiding in the bathroom with you. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I just a side note, Katie, I'm tiny. My license says I'm five foot. So we'll just leave it at that. But you know, for years, you know, in the 90s and, and the aughts, when I would go to events, people wouldn't see me. So I often found that if I went with a plan to ask people questions, they were much more likely to engage. This is a wild generalization, but people like to talk about themselves. So if you ask them specific questions, you're, you, you start the dialogue, and I'm much more likely to then have them not look over my head, although it's very easy for them to look over my head because I'm probably up to their chest. <laughs> so what is the do element here? So we've talked a little bit about how you, how you walk into a room, how you make other people feel comfortable. You know, I love the advice to ask people questions about themselves because that's a natural conversation starter. Once you, you know, you've connected with somebody that you're thinking, I love this person, you know, I want them in my orbit, I hope I can continue to see them. How do you bring the do into the uh, equation? Sure. Well, the under one of the underlying themes of the book is all about how do you lead with being helpful. So I very often, and it is my carrying my my calling card. I will say, so what are you working on right now, or what are you hope, hoping for right now that I could be helpful with? And if I'm listening care carefully, I will be able to toss out ideas of way I, ways I could be helpful. But I always have a little notepad with me, or I will use my, my handheld device and type little notes. I often will also take a photo of the person, not to share on social, but just so that, you know, three days later, I can remember who the person is. Because as I get older, my memory isn't quite what it was. Um, <laughs> Join the then, club. 
And then, well, we know the name of those. The yes, podcast. exactly. We're all a certain age. Our memories are, yeah, you know, they're a work in progress. Always. And improving like fine wine. <laughs> but honestly, I, uh, if I leave the event, and, and I do this with online events too, I will follow up as quickly as I humanly can. Okay. Now, sometimes that is not possible, right? Because of life gets in the way. But I do try to do the follow up within a couple of days so that the person doesn't forget who I was. And I also try to, you know, I refer back to my notes or the photo to be able to drop in something we, we talked about. I like to call it the commonalities in the uncommonality of meeting someone new. And that way you remind the person when you follow up that you saw her you heard her, you listened to her, which I think is one of the greatest gifts we can give one another in this crazy noise-filled world. So to me, that's the first step in the do, following through. So, so smart. Be, yeah. And it could be, I'm going to introduce you to blah, blah, blah. Or it could be you you had to talk about the best hummus in Cleveland. We'll, we'll bring up Cleveland again. And then <laughs> you recommend a hum, hummus in Columbus. You know, I mean, I'm being silly, but you know, Sometimes I, I don't want people to think like I'm just running around and trying to help the world. I mean, yes, I do try to help people, but this is also about just normal conversations and then following up and knowing that this is not all happening, you know, in a short span of time. Like this is over lifetimes. Sure. And I, I Relationships take a while to develop and build. And, and you've <laughs> offered some very smart tactical tips. What would you recommend for somebody who wants to resurrect a relationship that maybe you let languish during the pandemic or, you know, after you've switched jobs or you've moved towns? How do you resurrect a relationship that's no longer quite so robust? I believe being very direct is your best friend in this case. And use the pandemic. For God's sakes, it's been nasty to us. Let's take advantage of it any way we possibly can. So I would reach out to someone and say, you know, AKA, it's been very challenging the last 18 months. I've lost touch with lots of my friends or my former colleagues. You were important to me. I would love to see if you might have 10 or 15 minutes to chat over the next month. And how can they say no? <laughs> That's because that's such a measured ask, too, because I really think that's an important uh, component to this whole process. You need to be measured in in, in what you ask of other people, particularly as people look to reenter and, you know, reemerge and are busy managing their lives. If you're if you're coming with something small, like I'd love like a coffee catch up over the phone, you know, I would love to just hop on the phone for 10 minutes. You know, people it makes it easy for people to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. And look, there's always going to be somebody who says no. And even in my grand age, I'll be 57 in the next few days. I fervently believe that it is better to be direct. And it still hurts when somebody ghosts you, but it's just life. And I just figure let's use this pandemic. We all have gone through it. Obviously, many have, you know, have had different degrees of suffering from it. But I think it's a perfect excuse to reach out to people. And like you just said, I think people appreciate when you're direct and give them some sort of measurable, like time restrained uh, request. But I also suggest leading with how you can be helpful to that person. I'd love to reconnect, see what you're working on, see if there's a way I can be valuable to what you're doing. Um, I joke because I sometimes ask um, 
when I'm doing talks, I ask to see a show of hands of how many people receive outreach on LinkedIn, they will connect with somebody. And then within two hours, that person will be selling them something. Yes, that's such a terrible, it's happened to me. I've I've been on the receiving end of that. And it's so off-putting and such a turnoff and so disingenuous. Yeah. And what if instead the person did a little research, for instance, about your company, Katie, and said, wow, you know, I happen to know, you know, a funder who specializes in blah, 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 and then make the ask. Wouldn't you be much more likely to have an interest in following up with that person? Of course. A lot of this is, you know, a sort of common sense and good EQ and, you know, just really being respectful of other people. What would you say to somebody who says, you know, I hate networking, if you wanted to encourage them to look at it as more of like um, connecting versus, you know, transactional? What would what would be your coaching? I would say I hate it, too. <laughs> I remind them to look it up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. There's a reason work is in the word networking. And I would say, don't try for one to many. You know, I would concentrate on, you know, setting a goal for yourself, you know, three people a week, five people a month that you're going to either connect with or reconnect with. And don't think of it as, quote unquote, working a room and shaking hands and dropping business cards. I don't even have business cards anymore. Right. Who does? It's all. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, I also want to want to share something that I learned in in the research uh, for the book, and that is making a practice of meaningfully connecting in our lives actually extends our livelihood and our lives as much as eating kale every day and running every day. Now, mind you, I love kale. I do live in Brooklyn, as not, not Cleveland. Um, I'm sorry. I don't. I got to get Cleveland <laughs> off of that. We are pro-Cleveland. Um, I have a lot of listeners also in Cincinnati. We are like, we love these, these areas. Well, so. and, and we have a client in Cleveland. I'm going there in a few weeks, so maybe that's why it is so on my maybe mind. Maybe that's why it's on your brain. <laughs> but, you know, Anyhow, I, I'm I'm being redundant, but I think it's it, it it doesn't it doesn't hurt to realize this is healthy. This is going to be something you can be doing for yourself rather than something that is painful and 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 again back to that transactional kind of feeling. Right, exactly. We, because we we read about this loneliness is the new smoking, which is the new sitting. You know, these are all things that are bad for your health. So you um, have greater health, you have greater happiness, you've got greater longevity if you have healthy, strong relationships. So this advice is so spot on. Susan, I want to ask you, because your work today, you know, is different, I know, from where you started 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you first launched your business. You are now an author. You've made um, the art of connecting a big part of your professional life beyond simply your communications work. What would you tell your younger self from the vantage point of what you know now about your life and the importance of meaningful relationships? What would you go back and tell yourself to do differently? Well, I think I would be, I would be what I learned in the book from the research in the book. And that is to be, don't be afraid to be direct. In other words, when I am trying to accomplish something, let the person know without fear that they're going to run away. Um, So I guess probably the, the macro version of that is, have some confidence, right? Um, I, you know, like so many of us women, we tend to wake up in the morning and have imposter syndrome. I would tell myself years ago to get rid of imposter syndrome. 
Yeah. So your, <laughs> your sense awesome. of self-confidence evolved over time. Did it evolve because of your your growing expertise? Did it, did it yeah. evolve because of your age? You know, is it something that do you see a direct correlation to aging and increased confidence? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I was asked recently if I was to pick one word how I felt now in my 50s. And I would say unstoppable um, because I am not. Uh, uh, you know, a victim of letting myself get the better of myself, right? I've put those monkeys, I mean, they come out occasionally, believe me, I don't want to say they're completely gone. Um, But one monkey won out. And I guess that would be number one monkey. And that would be me. Um, But I, it's interesting. And it may be, it may have stemmed out of always being the tiniest person in the room, you know, um, to be insecure for that very reason, right? We always have when when we're othered for any reason, it's scary. Um, But, you know, my business, actually, I founded the company eight years ago, and 95% of the business has been inbound. So what that has told me is the rich connections and communities that I have made such an effort to build since my 20s and 30s have come back. I mean, they may not be clients, but it's through them, through others, through others that have come back or come through to do business with myself and my team. So I, I think if I could tell that 20 something who, you know, was nervous or, um, you know, trepidatious about taking all those meetings, I would say, good thing you did it. Yes, absolutely. Because you've built this rich network of people that have supported you in in, in so many different ways. And so as you, you know, you've just taken on recently a new role. You just said you're about to be 57 and you, you know, were a brand new author by the age of 56. Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, the the reinvention has been happening. What is what's exciting about that? And what do you think is in store for you next? Well, I, um, that's, that's a really good question. And I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, I honestly would love to fall in love. I have been single for way too many years. And uh, I would love to have one last love or maybe a couple more loves, (laughs) depending on how long I live. Uh, And I, you know, after this year of, of, of with the, you know, the, the zoom based book tour, I'd like to get out and do more public speaking once the world comes back or comes to whatever, wherever we're going uh, and continue to, to do the board service work that I've been doing. Um, I serve on the board of the 19th, which is an amazing media platform centered at the intersection of women and public policy. And then I also serve on the board of USA for UNHCR, which is the UN High Commission for Refugees. This is so, so fabulous. Um, You've got such again. a full plate. And I also love that you put out into the universe that you want to find love because this it's it's a lot like networking. You, like you have yeah. to let people know what you want to be to, to be doing for them yeah. to think of you to make introductions to say Susan is dynamite and I know the perfect man or the perfect woman or the perfect person or the perfect whoever and to make those introductions <laughs> because that's how it works. You have to, you know, I believe me, I've told every single person I stand next to for 5 minutes too long that I have a podcast. I'm like, "Guess what? I got a podcast." You know, and this way people know what you're doing what you're excited about. So put things out into the universe because that's how the universe knows how to deliver. Susan, I want to head into our speed round since I know our time together is coming to a close. And this is something that I love doing because I could talk to all of my guests all day long, but we, you know, we have a limited time frame and the speed round allows us to learn more about you and hear more about your thoughts on a quick, you know, range of subjects very quickly. So Uh, I'm going to ask you for a one or maybe two word answer to complete these sentences. 
Okay. Running my own business is? Beyond amazing. I think I know the answer to this one, but my superpower at work is? Connecting. (laughs) My surprising superpower at home is? Okay to be alone. (laughs) That is a superpower. Believe me, that's a superpower. Uh, My favorite way to connect with people is by phone, email, LinkedIn, or in person? In person. On following up, email or snail mail? Email. My out-of-the-box or unorthodox networking idea is? Showcase people. If you want to move from networking to genuine connection, always remember to? Ask. Love it. On weekends, you will find me? At the dog park. If I weren't running my own business, I would be a? Astronaut. <laughs> I love it. Talk about, <laughs> that's, that is a fun one. Somebody said quilter last time, and I thought that was pretty fun too. But astronaut is amazing. <laughs> Susan, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate connecting with you, learning more about your recommendations for, you know, for our listeners who are moving back out into the world and looking to build rich, meaningful connections. Before we say goodbye, how can uh, a certain age listeners find you, your work, and your book, The Lost Art of Connecting? Well, thank you, Katie. This has been a joy. And thank you for all you do. It's, it's really, really remarkable. People can find me on all the interwebs at Susan one My company is McPherson Strategies. And I'm based in Brooklyn. So I'm always happen- happy to meet New York City people in real life. Uh, and lastly, the book can be found at any bookstore or uh, book online website that you purchase from, both the hard hardback, the Kindle version, and the audio version. Fantastic. I will put all of that information into the show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday to hear how nonprofit leader Trish Tierney grew a small organization into thousands of volunteer advisors from top companies like Google, Yahoo, and Kraft Heinz all working on projects that support women's rights and social justice leaders across the globe. Tune in to learn how you can get involved. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.